What an introduction. Wow. Thank y'all. He, he, he laid it out there for you already. So, um, good to be with you guys. As he said, I do have a good bit of history in this church. Um, it's going on almost 20 years now since the last time I stepped foot on the stage, which the stage was different. It was a little bit different, but, uh, your pastor's done a great job with this church. Um, good to be with you guys. And uh, I'm going to open up with a story here in just a minute. But as the pastor indicated, we are itinerating U.S. missionaries, uh, trying to get our budget raised so we can get on our mission field. As a U.S. missionary, we're not allowed to start until our budget's raised. So we're almost there, 8% left. And uh, uh, that's 12 people at $25 a month. And uh, maybe after we're done with this this, this morning, um, you'll see our heart and understand the importance of our mission of what we are doing uh, in foster care. I know your pastor's wife fairly well, Amy. We were born and raised pretty much together here in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we went to did a lot of camps and stuff together. And uh, I won't tell you which one's older, but, um, you know, yeah. Uh, so uh, it's good to, to be back with familiar faces this morning. The story I want to show with you, uh, share with you is a true story uh, about a family that can no longer have any more children. Uh, they had two biological uh, sons, and after major complications, they no longer could have any more kids. Uh, as the story goes, they were fine with that. They were thankful for two healthy boys, and they uh, just were moving on with their life. And in the course of time, just so everybody knows, whether you're a young believer in Christ or you're a mature believer in Christ, whenever you decide to put God in a box, he finds a way to get out of that box. So whenever you say to God, I'm never or I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you're automatically saying you're going to, okay, just so you know. So we went on a little trip to celebrate this uh, occasion uh, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, as this family uh, was happy and content, God began to place upon their heart to adopt. So they began to go through this whole entire process of adoption. And uh, they went to every private adoption agency in the state of Mississippi. Uh, to their disappointment, uh, if you have kids, it is very hard to adopt privately. And uh, God allowed those doors to be shut. So a fellow missionary friend of theirs, they decided uh, through their advice to begin to foster. And in that process of fostering, they did for about 10 years foster uh, here in the state of Mississippi. And it took six years before a child ever entered into their home that was adoptable. They got a phone call in October the 2015. And... Um, the phone call kind of went like this. It was just an indication that these children had to be moved quickly out of a previous foster home into another one because there were signs of abuse and there were signs of neglect, not in the biological home, but in a foster home. And uh, this family didn't ask any questions. They said, sure, we'll take these kids. Not a problem. That was on a Saturday on Monday at 8 o'clock in the morning. They were dropped off at the front doors of their house. And it wasn't one, it wasn't two, but it was three kids at the front doors of their home. Where when they brought in, they didn't realize the significance of the situation. Mackenzie, she was four years old. 
Uh, she was the one that in a foster home before this one, she was being sexually molested, physically abused, and completely neglected. Abby, she was two. The family wouldn't hear her say her first word for a whole year. She'd barely say anything, let alone make a noise. In fact, she had never had a piece of solid food a day in her life at the age of two. She was still on baby food. Then there was Wade. He was eight months old. And it would take six months before he'd ever make his first groan inside that house. If y'all haven't realized yet, this story's about us. This is our story. This is our testimony of where God has taken us. I pastored here in the state of Mississippi for 15 years. Started when I was in my early 20s. Never thought I would see myself as a missionary. Never thought that the journey that God would take us on would lead us to where we are today. I was perfectly content as a pastor. Loved pastoring. Still love it to today. Love every aspect of it. But what we didn't realize is that in our 10-year journey that we would have in foster care, God was leading us to this moment and this season of our life as missionaries. Because what we discovered soon while taking care of Mackenzie is that a child that's four years old, they can have resentment, they can have anger, they can have pain, they can remember everything. And she wasn't interested in somebody to love her. And this is why, because if you don't, if you've ever been in an abusive situation, some of us might have a history of sexual or physical abuse. You understand why you push people away because you don't want to get hurt again. So we would tell her things like Jesus loves you or we love you. And one night we went back there uh, to her bedroom and prayed with her and she screamed in our face, I don't want your Jesus. At the age of four. Now, as I've indicated, as you will know, and as the pastor has also pointed out, I've been raised in church my whole life. My parents were in ministry most of my life. My mom was playing an organ at Jackson First Assembly of God, went into labor with me on a Sunday. That's how much I've been in church in my whole life. I'm about to turn 38, just so y'all can understand how long I've been in church. And whenever this person... This little girl, this stranger in my home, told me that she didn't want my Jesus. That phone number for that social worker was looking really good at that time. I'm being honest. I'm just laying it all out there to you. I remember every single night that we would go to bed, I'd look at my wife. My wife wouldn't be the one telling me this. I'd be telling my wife, you know, one call, we can go to four no more. We can end this. And I always hated her response because just how bitter and angry she was, I was getting bitter and angry at her because I was tired of what we were dealing with in the home. And I hated the response that my wife would give me. That response would be, let's pray about it. Because you knew the moment you prayed about it, that God would tell you the answer you didn't want to hear. And that was to keep them. For six months, I asked her every single night. Can we make the phone call? Because she had so much anger, so much resentment, so much bitterness stored up. Because all she wanted was a normal life. 
But by the time she was four years old, she was in six different foster homes. And she was tired of being just passed around. And whenever we'd say something, I love you or Jesus loves you, she associated that word love with not a genuine love, but a form of abuse. Because anytime someone told her, I love you, there was always some type of abuse that would follow that word love. So when we would say, Jesus loves you, guess what would happen? She didn't know there was a God. All she thought was that that was another person that was going to hurt her in some form or fashion. She'd have fits of rage and anger to the place where she'd rip doors off of the hinges because she was so angry. And we were dealing this with this night and day, day and night, exhausted and tired. I'm getting to where we're going to go with what we're doing on the mission field, but I want you to listen because it's important. This story that I'm sharing with you this morning, it's not a special story. It's an average story. In the state of Mississippi, we have roughly about 8,000 children that come in and out of the system every year. Some stay up to two weeks. Some stay up for a lifetime. We also only have 2,400 homes available, foster homes available for 8,000 children. What does that mean? That means that there's more than half of those kids that social, social services has to find a place to go. And so there's another thing called kinship care. For those that don't know this, the next of kin, if there's not a foster home open, that there's the next of kin. If they're willing to take that child, they will take that child. But a lot of times, sadly, for whatever reason they were pulled out of their biologicals, their kin and their family members are dealing with the same exact issues. In Mississippi in general, it's drug abuse. Nine times out of ten, it's always associated with drugs. One that we're probably all familiar with called meth. It's a cheap, easy uh, to get drug. And it destroys families across the state of Mississippi. And so our story is not unique. It's what it is. So in kinship care, don't let this blow you away, but it's the reality of, of, of what our family looks like as a whole is that there's roughly 57,000 children in kinship care right now across the state of Mississippi by itself. And it shows you the issue of the broken family. Because when broken families are breaking apart, guess what? That means that the kids are going to be impacted. Kids are always impacted. By marital problems, relationship problems, you name it, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, whatever it is, that child is always affected somehow, some way, and they didn't ask for it. It's just what they were born into. In Mississippi, a child above the age of two will move between four foster care homes a year. That means every three months they move. Because we have such a shortage of foster families, those kids have to jump into different counties. So when those kids jump into different counties, guess what that means? They had to find a new school. They had to find new sporting activities. They had to find new friends. They had to find everything all over again, rebuilding their life. And it gets to the place where these kids just go, I don't want this anymore. This is not fair. And a lot of times the problem that we have here in Mississippi is that every single year we lose half of all of our foster homes. 
to discouragement. Because these kids come in abused, upset, and angry. And these foster parents are having to deal with these damaged children. And they had that phone call that I wanted to make. Whenever they call their social worker and they say, Can you remove this child from my home? And while you're in the process of it, just close the doors of my home. Because if this is what fostering looks like, I'm not interested any longer. And the state can only, only can keep about half of all the foster families they recruit. Now, church, the problem that we have is, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I want you to listen very carefully to all those numbers, to the dramaticness of uh, the foster care system, and all of that good stuff is simply this. And if you want to know why it's so bad, as I'm just going to give you the truth, is that the church has waited too long for the government to fix a problem that it was never intended to fix. If you remember the passage of Scripture in James 1.27, I'm going to paraphrase it. It simply says this, that the greatest form of religion is one that takes care of orphans and widows in their distress. And if you don't think a foster kid is an orphan, then I don't know how to label an orphan any differently. Because they are children that are being misplaced from their biological families. They have no stability, no support, no one there to help them. And they're genuinely orphans. Now, James, the book of James is important because of the fact that that book was not written to sinners. It was not written even to a young believer. It was written to the church. Because James is telling the church, this is what you're supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to be like. Now, with that being said, as powerful as James 1.27 is, you have to have Galatians 6.2. Now, Galatians 6.2, I'm going to paraphrase that passage of Scripture again, but it's very important because what the Word tells us is that you have to carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I'm sure your pastor has shared with you what two commandments that God, what Jesus brought to this earth, and that was to love God and to love people. And if we're not willing to carry the burdens of others outside the walls of this church, let alone the people inside your church, then we are not fulfilling the commission of loving one another. Because as a church family, we carry each other's burdens. I never realized, and I'll be honest with you, I, I was raised in a very independent home, an independent family. We took care of ourselves. We didn't ask much from the church. Uh, a lot of that's because we were in ministry, so, you know, it, it's just what it is. And But my, my sister, six weeks ago, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Just out of the blue, out of nowhere. And the church that they go to has wrapped around them so well that I've never truly understood Galatians 6-2 until this season of my life. Because when you carry a heavy load and a heavy burden, sometimes that burden is not meant for you to carry. In fact, it's people around you that help carry that burden. And what we focus on as missionaries is a ministry called Complicare. Complicare is from a ministry uh, or another ministry called Compact Family Services out of Arkansas or Highlands Children Homes. For those that might have uh, been in the assemblies for a little bit, you know and understand that they had their own children's home. This is a ministry that is a result 
of that children's home. Complicare focuses on three main issues of foster care. Capacity being one of them, not having enough people to take care of children. Quality, quality in the sense that we don't have good quality care. Let me say this and just listen very carefully. Anybody can foster a kid. You do not have to be a Christian or be saved or however you want to call it. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to be a foster parent. Anyone can do it. But we understand that whenever we put God into the equation and people rise up out of the church to foster children, that quality of care completely changes for the better. Because a lot of what these kids face is even in other foster homes is the same type of abuse and neglect that they were being delivered from out of their biological home. So we have to completely change the way that that quality of care is. And that is based upon the families in the church. And then the third thing is stability. Stability is the number one problem of foster kids across the United States, not just in America, but across the United States. They didn't ask for their situation. They didn't, they didn't want what they, how they were born into this or what has happened in their lives. They just want stability. They want to be able to live a life like any other kid should be able to live a life. And we have discovered that in order to fix these three problems is that the church is the solution. We have, a, uh, as Complicare, our primary goal is to teach the church how to wrap around a foster family and provide that support that they need. All we need is one leader, three to four volunteers, and we come into the church and then within a six-hour training on a weekend, we can teach the church how to stabilize the foster system by using simply five people. This system works so well is that over the last 10 years that this ministry has been around, that they have a 95% success rate of keeping one child and one foster home for its period in foster care. That's, uh, that is a survey of thousands of children that it has ministered to over the period of 10 years. And why is that? It's because the church is the solution. Because in the church you find God, amen? In the church is where Christ is at. In the church is where we get the understanding from the word of God on how to help people in their time of need. It's all about carrying that burden for that foster parent that is going through this challenging season of their life while they're having this child. Up on the screen, you'll see kind of how that wraparound system is. We as the Complicare rep, we come into the church and we train. It's a, not a difficult training process. And then we train you how to wrap around that family on that side. It can look like many different things. So bringing them goods, helping them cook a meal from time to time, projects, whatever they need. To help stabilize them. Sometimes all we needed was just a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes all we needed is someone to send us a text message and say, hey, you got this. Keep going. My sister was my biggest uh, supporter through our process of those first six months that we brought these children in. In fact, she shows up out of nowhere one day and and she brought us all Chick-fil-A meals. Praise the Lord. Amen. Huh? (laughs) Because we were all sick. 
Strep had just gone through our house for about the fourth time straight. We couldn't get rid of it. All seven of us were uh, constantly getting it back and forth, and it was the nasty strep, the throw up, the whole nine yards that was in it. And my sister shows up out of nowhere. We hadn't been able to get out of our house in two weeks to even get groceries. And she shows up with a car, what looked like a car full of Chick-fil-A, and it was one of the best moments of our life. Why? Because at the moment that we needed somebody to be there, through a simple act of kindness, they were. And it's what helped us get through that moment so that we can provide stability for those children that were in our home. Now, praise the Lord, as of January 2018, we officially adopted them as our own. They're ours. But it took people like my sister, like the church, that was willing to wrap around us. And help us through that journey of our life. And that's what we're doing. You know, I, when I think about what I'm talking to you uh, this morning, and I'm just going to be brief here in this little message that I have. I came across a passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 13. As I said, I've been raised in church my whole life. So when Sunday school was a thing, this was... This is one of those stories I remember in Sunday school. And for those that were raised like I was in Sunday school, you might remember that velvet stick on uh, wall that the Sunday school teacher had. Man, I couldn't wait for her to pull out the next velvet sticker and slap on that board because I wanted to know more about the story, right? So in this passage of scripture, uh, my imaginary, uh, as my wife would say, crazy mind goes back to that moment. People of Israel had only been out of Egypt for six weeks, seen God do amazing things. God destroyed a whole nation just by simply speaking words. When the Israelites begin to, uh, to leave, they approach the Red Sea. There's an enemy behind them. There's a Red Sea in front of them. The word of God says is that they, he delivered them. That sea parted. They walked on the other side. The enemy is coming. What did God do? He crushed it. Make sure that the waves come down so hard that it drowns the army. They had just seen that. They get over into the wilderness and they have this manna. And for what y'all don't understand about this manna, it's crazy enough that it felt like dew on the ground each morning. But one piece of manna had every nutrient property that the Israelites need to sustain themselves for 40 years in the wilderness. They had just seen water come out of a rock. Now they're faced with their next dilemma. Their first battle in war. The Amalekites were coming against them. And this is what verse 8 says. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek. For us, tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. 
Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. It's an amazing story, amen? It's a great story. True story. But whenever I've heard this many, many times over my life, of being in ministry, preaching it myself, learning it in Sunday school, hearing every way that you could possibly preach this, there's something I didn't recognize whenever I was studying it this last time around. Moses had a very heavy burden that he was about to carry. Now, I want you to think about this, is that he's going up on top of this hill, looking over the Israelites while they're in the valley, battling the Amalekites who are very seasoned in war, and the only solution that he has is to raise his hands in the air while they fight. Now, I don't know about you, but when I worship the Lord, I'm good for about 10 or 15 minutes raising my hands, and then they get tired and exhausted, and I have to put them down. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I promise it's not a sin, so anybody understands that. But I want you to think about this. When Moses put his arms down, people died. Think about that burden. That you know that the moment your hands go down is the moment that your people are dying in the valley. That is a burden to carry. So these two men, Aaron and Hur, they see that Moses is struggling. They see that he is hurting. They see that he's in pain. And they rush up on top of this hill. They find a rock for him to sit on. And one gets on one side. One gets on the other. And they hold his hands up for the remainder of the war. And the Bible says because of that, they were able to defeat the Amalekites that day. These two men saw the burden that Moses was carrying. And realize that that burden was too much for him to carry. And this is my personal opinion. This is not biblical. I did not learn this in Bible college. But it's just a personal opinion. That if it was not for those two men. That there is a strong possibility. That we would not have the nation of Israel today. Unless God came through in some other form or fashion in that war. If God chose not to. There would not be the nation of Israel today if it wasn't for two men. Because they were willing to carry the burden of another. Now with that being said, the problem with burdens are are really bad. Because if if you ever have a burden on your life, I've had them many times. Still learning that process of understanding that my fights are not really my fights. Or my burdens are not really my burdens. They're God's. Because as a child of God, we inherit his promises. His promises are yes and amen. And that burden I'm carrying, I really don't have to. Because my Father in Heaven is going to take care of it somehow, some way. But we as humans, we have a hard time doing that. Amen? Would you be the first to admit that? Amen. Me too. But what burdens do is destroy the work that God wants to do in your life. It slows you down. It hurts you. It hurts your marriage. It hurts your relationships. It hurts even your, those that are involved around you. It could be your kids, could be uh, your finances, could be your health. When we're carrying this burden, it's destroying everything around us. And the whole purpose of the war between the Israelites and the Amalekites was found in Deuteronomy chapter 25. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture. I want you to think about this. Deuteronomy chapter 25. If you go back, verse... 17, I'm going to paraphrase it. 
what the Amalekites had learned was that the Israelites who were complaining and murmuring and tired and frustrated and aggravated and tired of following the crowd, they were falling back. And the Amalekites were walking behind them, killing them as they fell out of the pack. And Joshua saw the problem and he knew it had to be addressed. Now, church, this is what I believe with all my heart when it comes to burdens, is that whenever we carry burdens that we're not supposed to, guess what happens? We start falling away from our relationship with God. When it should be stronger, it should be well. It Burdens should push you towards God, not away from God. But instead, we as humans, a lot of times, our result is to try to handle the burden first and then pray last. When we actually need to pray first, And God will handle the burden. Amen? But whenever we begin to handle our own burden, we begin to fall away from that, that, in that sense of that closeness to God. And the enemy is right behind you saying, that's good. Get a little further away. Get a little bit further away. Because when you get far enough away, I'll be right there waiting to destroy anything that God wants to do in your life. That's why we have to have people in the church. Willing to carry burdens. So why we have to understand the word of God that it says that if we have a heavy yoke on our shoulders and we give it, if we carry it, we're not supposed to carry it. We're supposed to give it to the Lord. And in that process, he'll give us something much lighter to carry. Because our father loves us so much that he's willing to take that burden and say, let me take care of it for you. It's the greatest father we will ever serve. And there's people in this community and all around and in this church alone that needs those, that needs to wrap around them, show them love and support while they're trying to carry a burden that they shouldn't ever be carrying to begin with. Here in Hines County, last year there was roughly 2,000 kids that came in and out of the foster care system. Hines County alone. And Clinton was about 150 kids that entered into the foster care system. Now, church, I want you to understand that the family as a unit has declined so quickly. That was 2018. 2019, in Clinton, Mississippi, that number went from 120 to almost 400 kids because of the decline of families. And those almost 400 kids have foster parents or someone taking care of them that are trying to help those children. We're believing that they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart to take care of these children and the result carrying the burdens that those kids bring into their home. They have to have people to wrap around them. And through a simple training that we bring into the church, it becomes the solution to the problem. The evidence is there to prove it. But I want to leave you with this. My grandmother, she passed away five years ago. This is for anybody in this place. If you're carrying burdens, listen to me. My mom was 10 years old. She was the oldest of four. She lived in Jackson, Mississippi, in the suburbs of Jackson, Mississippi. If y'all know where Murphy Elementary School is, just right next door to Murphy Elementary in Jackson. And um, it was a midday during the summer. Got extremely dark outside for around lunch. 
grandmother, my grandmother went out to the front porch to see what is going on with this weather. It's actually recorded in Jackson history. And uh, she went out on the front porch. She looked down the road and there was a tornado coming her way. Now, if y'all have ever been in a traumatic situation, time slows down. So it only took about five seconds, but as she said, it felt like five minutes. She looked back at my mom who was in the living room and she said, sweetheart, get on your knees and pray now. There's no time to run into the hallway or into the bathroom because a tornado was right there. And my grandmother was two things. She was a strong woman of God. That's where my heritage comes from as a believer in Christ. But she was also extremely stubborn. I know y'all know some stubborn people, amen? And I guess she thought in her mind, either God's going to take this tornado away or I'm going with it. Because she stood out on that front porch as proud as could be. And the only thing that she said she could get out of her mouth was, Lord, dissolve the storm before it hits my home. She said in the moment that she spoke those words, she watched as that tornado completely dissolved in midair. Never touching her home. Now, church, this is what I leave you with. Is that you have a burden if you're carrying it today. It is just like that tornado. The solution is right here with you. But you're allowing the problem to be bigger than solution. And anything that that tornado hits, it destroys, it wipes it out. And that burden that you have in your life, it tears you apart. It tears your relationships apart. It tears your marriages apart. tears your health and your finances and your relationship with your kids apart. Been there, done that. I know what it feels like when the whole time God is standing right there and he's saying to you, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have not changed. And if I am the God that can part the Red Sea for the Israelites, I am the same God that can take care of your problem today. Because that's the God that we serve. And I'm going to close with a word of prayer. If you'd like to know more about us, how to support us, all that good stuff, it's all on that table. I'll meet you after church. That's not important. What's important right now is that when you walk out the doors of this home, church, you walk free because the word, the word says, I give you a peace that passes all understanding. That's the God that I serve. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand it back over to the pastor this morning. But maybe you came into this place and you have a burden that you need eliminated out of your life. I'm going to give you some bad news. Me the pastor, anybody of leadership in this church cannot do that for you. We can help. We can help carry that burden with you. But we can't eliminate it. There's only one person that can. His name's God. He is the burden carrier. The one that is willing to right now in this place say, I can give you a peace that passes all understanding. Because God doesn't care what the doctor says. God doesn't care what your marriage looks like today. God doesn't care that your kids are making bad choices. He says up in heaven, he's saying, I can give you a peace that passes all understanding. Because if you know who I am, those things are never impossible. They're all possible. 
So, Father, across this place, for those that came in here heavy laden, for those that came in here with burdens, for those that came in here looking for an answer, may that answer be in this place today, and that is you, Father. So as my grandmother told my mother that day, to get on our knees and pray, Father, we come to you in prayer, and we say, Father, would you release my burden? I'm sorry that I, was, I didn't come to you first. But Father, I'm coming to you now realizing that this burden is too hard for me to carry. It's too hard for me to handle by myself any longer. And I'm at my wit's end about what to do. And, and, and I just need you to relieve me, Father, so I can breathe again. So I can have peace again. So I can have joy again. All the things that you say that I can have. If I trust in you. So I lay my burden before you today, Father. And today, I am free. Today, I will have peace. And today, I will have joy. Because I have a God that loves me. And that has called me out by name. That knows every hair on my head. And you love me. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.